Hey there, guys. So a quick little change to this week's episode. I, I This is just for this episode in particular. Technically, it was supposed to air this past Tuesday. However, if you follow me on Twitter and stuff, I notified everyone that I am pushing it to today being the Saturday. Uh, this is due to me currently being in Georgia at the moment um, and just not you know, being as prepared as I should have been, but also, you know, just really wanting to enjoy, like, my little vacay moment, and, uh, currently I hope to see some really cool haunted locations potentially down here and get some stories for future use, uh, but at the moment I hope you guys can sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Again, it's gonna be the Dover Demon, as mentioned prior, and, uh, I hope you guys enjoy. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Realm of Unknown. Uh, so hopefully this is coming out when it's supposed to come out, uh, that being the Tuesday, but eh, we'll see how it goes. Um, again, I'm trying to do that whole like, two-week event thing. Ironically enough, during a week in which I will not exactly have a Saturday upload, for anyone who's unaware, I believe I did mention over on Twitter uh, I am going to Savannah, Georgia for a short little vacay. Hopefully while there, I can maybe, you know, see a few locations, maybe do a little bit of investigation on my own. Who knows? I don't, I personally don't know. So we'll see how that goes. And uh, we'll see whether or not this upcoming Saturday's episode is delayed or not. I don't know. I don't even know what this one is. The Ironically enough, the the episode topic for today, which we mentioned in the last episode being the Dover Demon, ironically enough, had a lot more context to it than I actually originally thought during my research process, because to be fair, some of the more short articles, they're really short, Uh, but when you really dive into it, there's a bit more details, and there's a bit more, you know, eyewitness accounts, stuff like that, and I feel like I did a a decent job of sort of mixing everything, uh, mixing everything together, and just, you'll see. So I guess we should really get into it. I'm not going to ramble on as long as I did for the last episode. Not much of a whole life change. I probably will only save that for the Saturdays. But uh, yeah, so let's let's get going. And heads up, I apologize for any noise in the background. Oddly enough, I didn't check the forecast and it may seem as though it might thunderstorm. So we'll see if I can hold off. But without further ado, I would like to introduce you guys to the Dover Demon. So today's story, it takes place about 15 miles southwest of Boston, Massachusetts, within a very small northeastern town by the name of Dover. However, hidden behind this sort of like picturesque rural slash suburban little charm that this town has, lies a potential creature that lurks about and calls the surrounding forest its home. Several teenagers within the town of Dover would be some of the first to claim the witness to this strange and elusive creature, with all their stories sharing pretty distinct details, that the creature had massive, glowing eyes plastered upon a very blank and simplified watermelon-shaped head. So, the original sightings, or I guess the prime event of all of this, took place across the span of only two nights. So, all of these events took place back in 1977 across these two-day period. 
These teenagers reported to have seen a bizarre creature, which would later on be called the Dover Demon at the time. No one knew what it was. And to this day, again, there's no real solid explanation as to fully define the events that took place. People are still kind of scratching their head. People have their own explanations in their mind, but there's no definitive proof on whether what, depending on which way you think of it. So, first up, we have William Bartlett, who was 17 at the time, and was the first person to record, or to have been recorded to spot, which would later be called the Dover Demon. This all took place while himself and two friends, Mike Maz... Ooh, going to pronounce this one wrong. Mike Mazzocco and Andy Brody were driving along Farm Street, a local road in the town, just after 10 p.m. that night. So Bartley witnessed the strange creature whom he then claims to have been, quote, standing up on a broken stone wall with its eyes glowing due to the shine of the headlights. It was not like a dog or a cat. It had no tail and it had an egg-shaped head. Through the report, the Dover demon appeared to be more human-like rather than that of an animal. Bartlett said it reminded him of children with distended stomachs. I don't know why... Or how he knows that. I didn't know at 17. But this is essentially when bloating uh, occurs in the stomach due to pressure buildup. So just sort of think beer gut in a way. But not due to those causes. But even more distinct and much more bizarre. Was that the creature's head had no features. Aside from its eyes there was no clear evidence of a nose, a mouth, or any ears. So two hours later on that exact night in which Bartlett witnessed this creature... 15-year-old John Baxter was returning home from his girlfriend's house, though some stories say he was walking with his girlfriend to her house. Most of the other reports say that he's walking from the house. So Baxter was walking along Miller Hill Road, besides a relatively heavily wooded area, when Baxter spotted the creature, and Baxter claimed that he got within 15 feet of the creature that looked remarkably similar to the one spotted earlier in the night by ba- uh, by Bartlett. So Baxter took a few steps forward towards whatever he was seeing, and it quickly dashed into the woods. He could hear this thing moving its way through the brush. Curious to discover who or what this was. I don't know why Baxter was so curious. At 15, I would not be following an odd creature into the woods. So Baxter quickly followed behind it. Reaching the bottom of an embankment, he could see that on the other side of the brook, he now could clearly notice the outline of the creature's body. John explained later on to investigators, quote, All those thoughts going through my mind, you know? What is this? A monkey, maybe? As I looked very close, really, I could see the eyes. It was looking at me. I just stared at it for a few minutes. John eventually grew uncomfortable while staring down this creature. Again, he says, I got all of these feelings that it was just thinking about itself, or waiting to spring, or whatever, you know? And so I backed up the bank kind of fast, and my heart was starting to beat real, real fast. Eventually, John ran up to, again, Farm Street and managed to get a ride home. So John Baxter later on made a black and white sketch of what he claimed to have seen, the sketch being one of the few that uh, correlated with his sightings, in which the creature in question reportedly had large eyes and tendril-like hands, little weird little long fingers. Baxter's sighting and subsequent sketch 
has this creature standing up on its hind legs with its front appendages gripping a tree. So the following night is the last night in which this creature is seen, and on April 22nd at around midnight, so relatively the same time in which Baxter spotted the creature the night prior, a 15-year-old girl by the name of Abby Braham, I might be pronouncing that wrong, reported to have seen the Dover Demon while driving home with her boyfriend along Springdale Avenue. Bradham reported that the creature was standing upright next to a tree, very similar to how Baxter sighted the creature the night prior. She's quoted as saying, As I looked at it, it kind of for a moment looked like an ape. And then I looked at the head, and the head was very big and a very weird shape. It had bright green eyes, and the eyes just glowed, like they were just looking right at me. Abby went on to mention that she assumed that the creature's eyes may have been reflecting the car's headlights. She described it as having a tan, hairless body and a watermelon-shaped head with no features. Will Tanner, Abby's boyfriend at the time, was also in the car and only briefly noticed the creature while it was crouching in the road. However, both teenagers do agree that the size of the creature can be compared to that of the size of a goat. This would mark the last sighting of this creature. So after all these sightings, investigators and reporters ended up plotting all of them out on a map in order to just sort of get an under uh, in order to just sort of get a better understanding of the scope of these sightings, or I guess the range of this creature. So after plotting out each location, all of them together created a pretty much straight line, stretching about two miles roughly in distance. And uh, a little side fact that was just also noted while compiling all this information is that the investigators did point out that almost pretty much all of these accounts took place either next to or really, really close to a body of water. And a police spokesman said that officers did search the areas of the reported sightings afterwards with pretty much no luck. They found nothing in relation to the creature. Uh, the teenagers who witnessed this thing, however, once more claimed that it had no ears, mouth, or nose. It was also described as being roughly three to three and a half feet tall, and it's also reported to have a white or pale melon-shaped head with rough-looking skin. Some saying that it was sort of similar to a, sort of like a shark's type of skin. It was smooth, but it looked, you know, had some texture. And uh, most prominent of all, having glowing or reflective eyeballs. So years after all these sightings too, Bartlett, the first guy who noticed the creature, he continues to just think back on that night. And after a later interview, I believe in 06, he is quoted as saying, In a lot of ways, it was kind of embarrassing for me. I definitely saw something. I know that. It was definitely weird. I did not make this up. Sometimes I wish I had. And this was, again, in 06. He has a family at this point. I'm pretty sure he's like a relatively well-known artist in some degree. He just doesn't want this associated with his life anymore. So moving on, we're going to talk about you know some of the explanations or theories, I suppose, in relation to the Dover Demon. Again, there's not really that many sightings of it. So the really, like, backstory section is kind of brief. But the explanation section is pretty long. It's relatively like half my notes. So let's just get into it, and I'll give my opinion later on. So all three witnesses of this Dover demon creature, technically four, but I'm only going to really say three, uh, had some or relatively similar stories. They're all pretty pretty cut and dry from another. 
Within all the accounts, the creature in question had something somewhat between a humanoid to a smaller bipedal animal. However, it more so leaned towards the human-like side of things. With all of this, though, similar to most bizarre creature sightings, there are several theories and explanations that just pop up from people who try to solve or provide reasoning to the sightings, and ultimately they weren't there, so they don't have any evidence. This is just all speculation. So some chalk this up, just all of these sightings, to just simply being teenage drunkness. Okay, uh, Bartlett actually comes forward, the first witness again. He's also the oldest, being 17, the others being 15. He did admit that he and his friends were in fact out looking for beer that night. However, he's pretty adamant in declaring that they never drank any alcohol that evening and that he was not inebriated while witnessing this creature. And Baxter, the second witness, he was alone in the woods walking home and... I don't know, the other two don't even seem to have any reason as to why they would be, like, drunk drunk. So it seems like a weak argument, in my opinion. But the one that a lot of people sort of gravitate towards and was brought up by a few scientists is alternatively people claim that the creature in question could have been a fowl or baby moose. This is due to the silhouette or figure it's sort of similar to what it could look like, uh, especially at nighttime when it could be a bit more like sinister looking. However, it's also pointed out that in April, it's not foul season, so you won't see them walking around, especially at night. And the moose of the region are very much long gone from Dover at the time of the sighting. In addition, like the only moose that you potentially could have seen at that time are like fully grown ones so there would be really no confusion in a the comparison of a three foot creature in addition fowls and moose i always want to say meese <laughs> fowls and moose they don't typically stand up on their hind legs this is just like my own little addition because i don't see anything that points this out they don't stand up on their hind legs like the last two witnesses reported the only times in which they really do is when they like kind of rear up on their back legs, and I have only really seen evidence in photos and videos in which one or two of these creatures, or animals I should say, are trying to like impose against one another. I've never seen any stories and stuff of it, you know, getting up and just standing there on its hind legs for a moment, or running off on its hind legs. There definitely are no reports of it gripping trees with fingers, so... <laughs> Plus two, they don't climb up onto stone walls like how Baxter's story claimed it. And, and again, like, it, the shape of it, they say there's no ears, there's no, you know, it has smooth and rough skin, no fur, and it has fingers in the last two reports, so, like, I it, this just seems like such a weak argument that... I don't understand why it's still considered because sure maybe the the head silhouette is similar I can agree with there uh, to that of like a melon weird cantaloupe shape however again this means that the moose has to have been a baby at some point furless no ears whatsoever it has to then be able to climb up onto walls grip trees, stand up on its hind legs, and also somehow have fingers. 
that seems like a much more impossible situation than maybe seeing a weird unidentified thing. Now again, it may be even like a furthest raccoon. I don't know. But then again, it needs to have no tail. There's a lot of weird stuff. So Bartlett also denies that this creature could have been an animal of any kind. He's quoted as saying, It definitely wasn't a fox or animal. It was some sort of creature with long, thin fingers. Uh, This thing was more human-like than its form than animal. I've always tried to guess what it was. I never really had any idea. I wasn't trying to be funny. People who know me know I did not make this up. And again, the whole long finger thing really kind of makes me think of, you know, like a possum or a raccoon. But uh, the shape's not the same and it's too little too small. So some people believe that a lot of this has a strong resemblance to the alien beings that were witnessed in a lot of UFO sightings. So that's sort of how the Dover demon is kind of classified. Sort of between a cryptid and an alien, but no one really knows. So the demon also has many similarities to the creatures of Cree Nation of Eastern Canada, Eastern Canada called the Maneshi. I might be pronouncing that wrong but it's a it's a similar looking creature i don't know if i'm going to really talk about them it might maybe one day it may also be possible that bartlett had you know discovered some natural species that was undiscovered by science at the time or maybe it's a mutation of a creature or a hybrid of two there's a lot of things that it could be categorized in by scientists that we just don't know we don't have the creature Each sighting was, again, brief. It was in the dark. There was nighttime. And under these conditions, things that may seem natural could just be playing tricks on us. Again, I don't know. These were all brief. Uh, We don't have any evidence linking to it. All we really have are the stories and the sketches that the kids provided. So uh, moving on, I want to talk a bit more about, you know, sort of explaining and also explaining the explanations I want to bring in uh, Lauren Coleman, who is a noted cryptozoologist from Maine, and someone that we mentioned back in the Bridgewater Triangle story, the guy who actually named the triangle. I believe he also named the demon. And uh, he believes that all these three sightings are credible. He spoke with the teens within a week of the reported sightings, and is quoted as saying, We have a credible case over 25 hours by individuals who definitely saw something. Furthermore, Carl Sheridan, the local police chief at the time of these reports, is quoted as saying the following in the Bangor Daily News. Quote, The only thing that worries me with this story is Bill Bartlett, who Sheridan describes as being, again, quote, a reliable witness and outstanding artist. Within the article, it is also noted that the police did not make the details of this creature nor the sightings public knowledge. All of them were made public about a week prior to the newspaper's publication, and the newspaper and the article that I'm reading through is published on uh, May 16, 1977. So the sightings were not made public until roughly 17 days after the actual string of reports. Of the three witnesses, two of the teenagers, it says two, there are technically three cases of drawings. Um, Abby's isn't really seen too much. Hers is a little more bizarre, but she did make sketches too. 
the witnesses create sketches of what they've seen. As mentioned before, Baxter is one of them. He's one of the more like famous photos that you'll see. However, like the definitive one is from the second being from Bartlett, who at the time, again, this plays into the fact of why the police chief thinks he's pretty credible into his report. Bartlett at the time was a member of the Boston Copley Art Society, which is known as being an amateur artist guild. And again, he did grow up to be a respectable artist in his own right. So he, you know, has that natural skill. He's able to recount what he saw much more clearly than most, I guess, general people. I don't know. I am an artist myself, and I don't know if I would have technically been able to sketch this off from memory. Who knows? Again, it's all the whole if you're in the moment type thing. And now I want to step back to Lauren uh, Coleman again as he believes sort of what he believes about this creature. So Coleman thinks that the Dover demon doesn't match any unexplainable creature sightings that were reported prior. So this would be things such as, you know, like the Chupacabra, Sasquatch, aliens as seen in like Roswell and whatnot. Or uh, the the goblins seen in like Hopskinville back in like the 50s. Even more bizarre than anything else is that weird sightings as a whole are not technically out of the ordinary within Dover. This particular area in Massachusetts has its own little fair share of weirdness throughout the centuries. And uh, Coleman does note that the area in which Dover and the Dover demon was sighted already has a history of unexplained activity within the same area there are three major legends so to speak this includes a sighting of a devil on horseback back during the 1600s and then an adventurous story of buried treasure and now finally being added up into those ranks the dover demon so coleman believes that due to all these sightings and how you know sort of different they are and just, you know, how strange they are, that Dover could very much be a location that sort of magnifies and attracts these sort of stories and sightings. Again, similar to his Bridgewater Triangle and, uh, I believe, like, Clinton Road that we talked about in prior episodes. Essentially being a bizarre or supernatural hotspot. Interestingly enough, uh, this is just sort of like a side note because I don't know how strong I feel about this. Five years prior to the collective sightings, again, this being in 1770, or 17, being in 1977, five years prior in 1972, a man by the name of Mark Semet reported to have seen a similar creature within the woods. Whatever Semit saw had glowing eyes that would reflect in the spotlights of his car's headlights. And he is quoted as saying, We saw a small figure deep into the woods, moving at the edge of a pond. Again, this is being near water. He goes on to saying, We could see it moving in the headlights. We just weren't sure what it was. My only issue with this story, with Semit's in particular, is that it's a little iffy. This being due to the fact that Semit had heard stories of a bizarre thing out in the woods prior to his report. I believe, like, relatively close, too. And this was all through, like, banter at a cafe or something in a college. So, 
it, it leaves a little less credence to the fact that it's like, hey, I heard this weird story, and then, like, a month later or so, I saw this weird thing in the woods that just happens to be in the same spot that I was told about. Like, you know, like, I give the first three stories a bit more credibility in the fact that it was spontaneous, it was out of the blue, they did not, you know, expect to see this stuff, and, uh, I don't know. So, that's actually, yeah, I ran through this a lot more quickly than I thought I would. Um, <laughs> so I guess I'll give my own opinion. Again, I don't know how I feel about this. I Cryptids are always, like, my... That's, like, my sweet spot when it comes to the paranormal and stuff. Just bizarre creatures are always just so interesting to me. However, I very, very much need evidence and some sort of credible, you know, reporting and stuff to really give it any leeway. Now, again, I, I do agree that the first stories are relatively sound. You know, they, they weren't trying to get publicity. They weren't, you know, for the most part, from what they can understand for, through investigations, they weren't coordinating with one another. So, again, these stories, like, they're very similar, although with slight deviations due to each specific report. However, they're not the exact same story as if, you know, a group of teens were trying to create a myth. They were pretty spontaneous. They were in close proximity, but in different locations. They were different nights. They were different people. Two in, in two of the cases, they were moving in cars and stuff. So it, it's very strange. It's very bizarre. I, from what I noticed, there's really no notation or further investigation to the fact that these took place near bodies of water. It's noted, um, but I didn't really see anything that might give an explanation for that, and I personally don't really know any explanation as to why, even in like the last report that I find iffy, it's near a pond. All of them are near bodies of water. I don't know if that means something. I don't know. Maybe this is a turtle without a shell. I, again, I don't know. I really don't know. And to me, that that's interesting, the fact that we don't know. I would like if there were more reports and if there was some evidence to this creature, but unfortunately, like mentioned early on in the episode, unfortunately, no one really knows what it is to this day, and there haven't really been sightings. Uh, people do technically claim to have seen it a lot of the times in the comment section of the articles that I read and different forums. However... Nothing has been solid. Nothing at least solid enough to make investigators go back and be like, oh, I gotta check this report out. It's always been pretty, you know, dry. And again, it's the internet age, so anyone can just report to have seen it. Back then in the 70s, this was the story. And um, I'm gonna post the some photos of the sketches of the teens over on Twitter and Instagram as well as uh, I took a screenshot. I found the original article that talks about them, the one that I mentioned prior, in which the police chief notes that he does agree that uh, Bartlett is a credible witness and that he doesn't think that he was making it up. So, I mean, who knows? I, I would definitely love to see it. I love the whole creature thing, and I would definitely like to go up and you know investigate some more, maybe if I'm visiting Boston or not. Um, we'll see how that goes. I don't have much more to talk about. Again, this was a lot more brief than I thought, even though the notes were like eight pages. So I'm going to wrap it up here. If you guys are 
you know like this episode please feel free to leave a review over on apple uh podcasts or stitcher if you feel like i don't know if stitcher technically does it or not but i'm there if you want to and uh, if you have any of your own stories or just you know want to stay up to date on what's going to be announced when it's going to be announced and definitely you know, if there are any delays check me out on twitter in particular but you can find me on twitter and instagram at realm of unknown and if you again if you have your own stories or suggestions you can email me those at realm of unknown at gmail.com i hope you guys enjoyed this episode and i hope you guys can stay tuned for the next one i don't know if it'll be delayed or not but if it's not then i'll see you this saturday and remember to stay spooky This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.